Good morning, Jericho Road. What do we do? Love God and love others. What do we say? I love God and I love you. If you're in the youth group, you're headed out right upstairs with uh, not Pastor Jimmy. I think uh, intern Trevor is taking you today. And so have a blessed time this morning. Um, I hope that card is not a surprise because we want to welcome online. I know Brian is watching online right now. So if that was a surprise card for Brian in the hospital for his birthday, you know, it's always great to spend your birthday in the hospital. Not at all. Uh, we've been praying for him, but he's also online. And uh, Mark and Hannah will be joining us maybe online this morning. And so now uh, we have an online community that's hanging out with us. And so would you say hello, online community? Hello, online community. That's like the three of them. And so bless them. We're so glad. Uh, I know they're online because Drew was like, look, Brian logged in. And that was like 20 minutes before service started. So you know you're bored in the hospital. So he's like, come on, church, start. So glad you're here. Um, we're in our fourth uh, week of Follow the Leader, recognizing that all the leaders that we look at, they have flaws, they have families, they have pressures, they have insecurities, yet they follow God well. And we want to notice every time that they do follow God well, and we want to copy those kind of behaviors. So today we're going to look at a man named John, who, was, uh, who first walked with Jesus at, in around 30 A.D., and so John, uh, he becomes one of these, the apostles. You might know him as Apostle John or author of some of the books of the Bible. But John and his older brother James, uh, they, their dad's name is Zebedee, and they're fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. John is number four of the 12 disciples called. So there were two before him, and then uh, his brother, and then himself uh, becomes a follower of Jesus. When Jesus starts picking disciples, say, hey, come follow me, hey, come follow me. And uh, he become part of Jesus' inner circle, which is uh, Peter, his brother James, and himself. And so he's someone who's very close to Jesus. Here's an interesting note I don't know if we think about all the time. All of the disciples, all the 12 disciples, John included, were somewhere between the age of 13 and 30. That's when a rabbi would take disciples. That's sort of the, your window for learning. Um, and so John, we believe, uh, actually is the youngest of all the disciples. And so if Jesus is calling disciples between 13 and 30, and John's the youngest, John may be somewhere in his 13, 14, 15, early teenage years. Now, we imagine John as this old guy writing the book of Revelation with a long white beard or something like that. But, but in fact, when he starts following Jesus, he may have been 14 or 15. We're talking like Jamie, Jamie and Jeffrey's age. You know, like that, That's who the apostle John is when he starts following Jesus. Now, he calls himself, he gives himself a title. Um, sometimes Jesus gives people the title, sometimes their friends do. But John gives himself a title. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> it's an interesting title. And he gives it to himself. He writes it in his own gospel. Rather than refer to himself as a, in the third person, John went here. Or he doesn't use first person. He doesn't say, I or we went here. So he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved when he's referring to himself in his gospel and that's pretty bold, I think, because the other disciples would read his gospel and be like, yeah, but maybe not. I was thinking about it. It's sort of like if my, if my daughter said, uh, I'm the child that my parents love, everybody would be like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's probably true. You know, There wouldn't be a lot of debate. No one's offended, but, but it's probably true. And so this is probably true. That, uh, and the disciples knew it, that John was the one that, they, uh, that, that Jesus really loved. Uh, kind of cool. He's the first, uh, at first he's a disciple of John the Baptist. So uh, there's this interaction that happens with John the Baptist and two of John the Baptist's followers, John, uh, John the Apostle here, 
and uh, Andrew, where they see Jesus, and John the Baptist is like, hey, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And two of the John the disciples' uh, followers, they go and spend the day with John the ba- I mean, uh, with Jesus, and uh, then become followers of Jesus. And John is one of those persons uh, who who meets Jesus and talks to Jesus that way. Jesus uh, does give them, so he has a self-proclaimed nickname. And Jesus gave him and his brother a nickname. Jesus called them the Sons of Thunder. And we're all not really sure why, but one of the possible reasons is uh, this interaction that happens. So Jesus sent out messages on ahead and he, uh, to those people who were in the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there, they didn't welcome him because he was uh, headed for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and kill them all? And Jesus turned to them and he rebuked them. It's like, whoa, whoa, easy turbo. Stop trying to bring fire down on people. And so it's possibly they were called sons of thunder because of this interaction. Or possibly uh, they both snored really loudly. That's the other possibility. That, And uh, Mark Villa snores a descendant of them. That might be, if ever you've been around him, he's known for being a great snorer. <clears throat> so they were known as sons of thunder. Uh, John's part of Jesus' ministry from the beginning. So seeing and being involved in like healings, casting out demons, miracles, like many miracles, the walking on the water, the, the water to wine, the calming of the sea, like uh, healing the sick, raising the dead, all of that uh, John is involved with. Uh, one time, maybe, maybe even an ongoing argument that the disciples are having is who's the greatest, and he was involved in that argument, like who's the greatest disciple, so maybe not full of humility totally, but that was one of the arguments that they were having. When we get towards the end of Jesus' life at the Last Supper, we see this interaction of closeness of John and Jesus. And you can just see it by where they're sitting and how they're sitting. And there's a, here's how this interaction happens. Would you notice the closeness between John and, and Jesus? So John, uh, this is recorded in John chapter 13. After Jesus was talking, he said some stuff. Jesus was troubled in his spirit, and he, and he testified. He said, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. The disciples are staring at one another, sitting around at this table. They're at a loss. For, to know which one of them he meant. And one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, or John, was reclining next to him. So they, they didn't sit on chairs, they sat on the floor around a, a low table. Simon Peter mentioned uh, a motion to the disciple, and he said, like, yo, ask Jesus who he means. And leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? So you got to picture that in your mind. They're at, they're at a low table, they're sitting down, He's the one reclining to him. He got the next seat next to Jesus. And then Peter says something to him. He leans this way. And then he leans back against Jesus, like body to body on him. And he's like, Jesus, like, you're talking about Peter probably, right? Like, right? Because, you know, he's, he's not that good. I'm the greatest disciple. <laughs> not that that bled over here. But, but he said, like, Lord, which one do you mean? When Jesus is being tried uh, in that kangaroo court, Uh, On the final day of his life, John was actually in the building. And then when Jesus was crucified, John was there front and center. And he has this interaction with Jesus as Jesus is literally being on the cross, talking to John. Near the cross, Jesus stood, uh, the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, uh, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, John, standing nearby, He says to him, woman, here's your son, and the disciple, here's your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took 
enter into his home. A little bit later on the day of resurrection, John and Peter, they run to see the empty tomb. John's a little faster than Peter. And so he gets there and he's the first man to see the empty tomb. Now the women had already seen it, but he's the first man to see that empty tomb. After Jesus' death and resurrection, he leads the church alongside of Peter. Continues to do miracles, uh, uh, perform miracles, to do ministry, to get imprisoned, and spend the rest of his life, from, from maybe his early teenage years, all to the end of his life, serving and following after Jesus. He writes five books of the New Testament, and it seems that John was Jesus' closest friend on earth. Even after the resurrection, leaving the earth, Jesus returns another time to deliver the book of Revelation to John in 98 AD when he's an old man. And it may be, I don't know if it's just me, but I like to think maybe it's, it's Jesus came to give a little bit of bonus time to John in his old age. He said, I know you followed me for a long time and I just want to come back. I want to give you this book of Revelation. And I also wanted to be with you for a little bit. Just spend some time together, perhaps. So he received that book in 98 AD towards the end of his life while serving uh, a prison sentence on the island of Patmos. He'd be rele- uh, released from Patmos because he was about to die and the authorities let him go and die in his uh, home city of Ephesus where he had pastored for some time. While his brother James, he was the first apostle to die. John was the last apostle to die. And John lived his whole life for Jesus from the very jump that he met him all the way till the end of his life. And I'll tell you, uh, he was faithful all along the way and this is the testimony that we want for everyone. For every one of our little kids who are upstairs right now here in the gospel, we want them, the moment they meet Jesus, to live from that moment the rest of the life for him. And everybody who is in here this morning, when you meet and hear about Jesus, we want you to follow Jesus the rest of your life until he allows you to go home at a ripe old age or if he returns, one of those two. That's our prayer for people. That once they met Jesus, they can live their whole full life for him. So let's look at the four areas of John's life that we can copy, that we can follow the leader in. And the first one is John was incredibly trustworthy. So when Jesus was at his toughest moment on the cross, John was there, and then Jesus asked him to do something. We read the passage. Jesus asked him to take care of his mom. Now, life hasn't changed in in all of time or of all of cultures. Every culture is the same, that that, uh, people value their moms. Moms are incredibly important. That crosses barriers of time, space, everywhere. Human beings, for some reason, oh, well, we know because moms are amazing. The reason, but all of us, we love our moms. And, and when Jesus trusts his mom to John, it really is telling something about John. That he sell, tells to John, I trust you enough to take care of my mom. And he asks him to do so. And I was thinking about it. We ought to live a life in such a way that Jesus would trust us with his mom. Are you the type of person where Jesus could come to you and say, I'm going to trust my mom into your hands? Now, maybe you're not. Maybe you've got some things that, that you've got to work out, and that's okay. Let's become people who Jesus can say, I would trust you with my mom. If you're not there yet, that's fine. There is time to change. The first quality we see is to be trustworthy, and that happens by living a life with integrity, by loving deeply, by caring responsibly, by by putting other people first, and by being obedient to God. 
mean, Jesus saw those qualities in John and said, you know what, I'm going to trust my mom to you. There are lots of people around. He says, you're the one that I'm going to trust with my mom. And I'd like to become people who Jesus could trust us with, their, with his very mom, his earthly mom. And he's not around presently, but it's sort of something to think about. You know, am, am I the type of person that could, could be that, could be trustworthy like that? The second thing, and I think this is probably the most important thing we can learn from John, is that he had an understanding of godly love. So John writes about love and God like all over the time. He has five books of the Bible, and he talks about God's love more than 80 times throughout his five books. If you read 1 John, it's almost called the book of God love. John records Jesus' words of love in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. It's clear from his self-given title that he understands that Jesus loves him and he loves Jesus back, the one whom Jesus loved. He is keenly aware of God's love in his life. He was loved by the Son of God, Jesus. And he loved Jesus back. He tells other people and us that we too can participate in that kind of love. In 1 John chapter 3, the first verse, he says, See what great love the Father has lavished on every one of us? That we should be called children of God? And that is what we are. You see, no matter where you are this morning in your relationship with God, no matter what you did yesterday, this week, or last year, God wants to say to you that He loves you. He loves you more than you can imagine. He loves you more than you could love Him back. And He wants you to know it this morning. I want to take a second and just pause and allow that to sit with you for just a moment. Would you just pause and receive from Jesus? He's prepared this all week for you. Just like we do in communion every week where we pause a little bit and try to hear from Jesus. Would you pause this morning and hear Jesus' words telling you, I love you. Would you hear it at the center of your soul? Would you allow to yourself to receive those words at your core, what the Bible would say, in your heart? The clearest I ever heard God's voice was a time when I was in a prayer meeting, and it was an excited prayer meeting, the kind where there was shouting and clapping and slapping, where they slap you when you're being prayed for. It was like an exciting one. And uh, I was just at a time where I was a little bit discouraged and I was praying and there was all this noise all around me. And I was saying, God, I just need to hear from you. And it got real quiet. And all of a sudden, everything sort of dimmed away. And as clear as I've heard any voice audibly or, or other, I heard Jesus tell to me, I love you. Right in the center of who I was. There was still shouting and clapping and all sorts going on, but it was quiet. And it was clear. And Jesus wants to say those exact words to you this morning. I love you. At the center of your soul. Would you just receive this morning? Because John had this understanding of godly love for him. I think it's an attribute that we would like to have. An understanding of God's love for us. And then a reciprocation back to him. The third thing we can see from John is how close John was to Jesus. I mean, John was lean against him close. John was 
see him in his glory at the transfiguration close, part of that inner circle. John was pray with him in his darkest hours of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane close. That's how close he was to Jesus. And you have the opportunity to be that close to Jesus. Jesus says this to all believers. This is written by John in the book of Revelation. And it's written to believers in Revelation chapter 3. It says, To whom uh, those whom I love I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. This is Jesus talking. He says, Here I am. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and I'll eat with that person and they with me. Now sometimes pastors use this as a a first-time believer's knock, but that's not what this is talking about. He is talking to believers. He says, you know me. I'm at the door. I want to spend time with you. I want to lean against you. I want to be close to you. I'm knocking. And maybe you've shut that door. Maybe you haven't been listening. It's you that closed it. He's the one knocking. He's talking to believers. And there are some of us who who we we haven't talked with Jesus in a minute. We haven't ate with Jesus. And we don't feel that close to Jesus. Well, you know what? Jesus is like, yo, this morning. I thought that was picking up overly sensitively. (laughs) This morning I'm knocking at the the door of your life. And I want to be with you close. Lean in close. I want to be right next to you close. He also says that that closeness brings about a new relationship where we're not slaves of God, rather we're friends. It's weird to call Jesus a friend, but here's what he says. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know the master's business but I'm calling you friends. For everything that I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. Other place in the Bible, Jesus calls you his brother and sister, his friend. It is not a distant relationship, but a close one. And Jesus wants to have a close relationship with every one of you, but he leaves it up to you. Isn't that crazy? He says, I want to have it with you. I'm knocking on your door. Will you open up? Will you allow me to come in and hang out with you? The God of the universe wants to hang out with you, and we're going to be like, nah, what's wrong with us? He's knocking at the door right now. He loves you more than you love him, and he wants to be near you more than even you want to be near him. And a close relationship is available if you just seek. Jesus is never far away. He is right next to you. Turn to him. Open that door of your life and fellowship with him. Like he may not be physically present, but Jesus is present nonetheless. Just as close as he was to John right now for every one of us. It's absolutely available. The fourth thing we can see from John is from the beginning to the end, John was in it for the long haul. The, the moment he started to follow Jesus, now it doesn't say that he was perfect. It didn't mean that he didn't make mistakes. He, yes, he abandoned Jesus when, when those soldiers showed up, but he circled back and he ended up in the house where Jesus was being tried in. didn't mean he was perfect. didn't mean he didn't make mistakes. But he said, Jesus, I am going to grab onto you and I am going to follow you ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs until the end of my life. I am still following you. I am in it for the long haul. From that moment that he was a teenager, he never looked back. He follows faithfully till the end of the, his life. He, per, 
perseveres. The writer of Hebrews says it sort of like this, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. See, the Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And here's one place where our church excelled. Like we have saints in this church who have been following Jesus for some time. Now I'm going to do a survey. It's one of those weird ones where I'm going to actually make you stand up like they do at weddings sometimes. So I'm going to have everybody stand up right now and then sit down when this thing is true about you. Yeah, you got to stand up, sorry. Uh, come on, stand up. Just like good Catholic church, we like to sit, stand, sit, stand. So if you are either not a follower of Jesus or you've been following Jesus less than five years, so followers of Jesus less than five years or not, go ahead and sit down right now. If you've been following Jesus for less than 10 years, so your 10 years or less as a follower of Jesus, go ahead and sit down. If you've been following Jesus for 20 years or less, less than 20 years, sit down. Uh, We're looking around. There's still a ton of people, more than 20 years. That means you've been following Jesus more than 20 years, right? I'm doing the math right. If you've been following, not to tell our age, if you've been following Jesus less than 30 years, go ahead and sit down. So these folks that are still standing have been following Jesus for more than 30 years. Go ahead and sit down, you guys. Bless you. That is amazing and powerful. That is so cool. All around us are saints who have been following Jesus for more than 30 years. Now, uh, there's a power to beauty to a life lived for Jesus, and I thank you, church, for exemplifying that. That we have people that that have been in the faith for a really long time. And if you're younger in the faith, I hope you rejoice because someday you too can have a testimony of a life lived for Jesus. Look, as a pastor, I don't have a ton of charisma. I just don't have any natural charisma. People are not drawn to me. I am not one of those type of persons. I'm not really good at networking and glad-handing and I'm making a ton of friends. Um, Sometimes I've been accused of being socially awkward. don't really appreciate all those laughs. I was hoping for like no-nos, a cry out, something like that. I'm not great at small talk, but I, I am good at persevering. I have out-persevered my friends, and, and this is a both I'm glad that I can and I'm sad that they can. Almost all of my friends who began ministry with me 27 years ago, most of them don't do ministry anymore. But I want to be like John, and I'm in it for the long haul. I mean, some people in this room even remember my journey. 27 years ago, started as an elementary, assistant elementary pastor at Bethel, right down the road. And some of you remember me being there, and hopefully you've seen some changes. But throughout it all, I can't say I've been perfect. can't even say that I've been good most of the time, or even all the time. But I have persevered. And I am in it for the long haul. I have no backup plan. And I am not interested in doing anything other than Jesus. And that is my prayer for you and your children. And I want to encourage every one of us to be all in on Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to be in this for the long haul. Not just for that emotional moment or just because I feel like it. Or not just during that time of spiritual high but for the long haul. As a church, those of you that were standing, I want to say keep it up. Continue to do great. And those of you who are just beginning, 
I want you to smile and rejoice because you've got this really cool journey ahead of you. Would you stand with me as we worship God together this morning?